Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher Jr. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Get your copy of Only One Shot by BJ Trulio. That's available on Amazon. And uh, don't forget to uh, check out Steve Azar on steveazar.com. He allows us to use some of his music with our podcast, and we appreciate him allowing us uh, the use of those songs. Today I've got Olin Brown on the podcast. Born in Washington, D.C., played all the different sports as a kid, went on to Occidental College in California, and that's where he kind of fell in love with the game and kind of a late bloomer and went on to win three times, actually multiple times, on the Hogan Tour, three times on the PGA Tour, twice on the PGA Tour champions, including the U.S. Senior Open, which was at Inverness. He's always one of the guys you want to get to when you want to get some insight. Very smart guy, and we look forward to hearing some of his uh, experiences and some of his insight on today's game. So let's see if we can get Olin on the on the phone. All right, I've got Olin Brown on the line. Welcome to the podcast, Olin. Jimmy, it's great to be with you today. We uh, we go back. I'm kind of like your good luck charm. You may not agree with that, but I believe I'm uh, at least for two of your wins on the Champions Tour, I took part in practice rounds for the U.S. Senior Open, and I was actually an announcer uh, and interviewed you Saturday before you won in Atlanta. And I haven't been playing any, so I take credit for uh, maybe you not having you know another win since then. Well, take you know, get your tail back out because I could use a little help. Yeah, we, we were talking about getting old and everything, but uh, it's part of the deal. You've been playing this game a long time, uh, but actually, you know, you grew up in Washington D.C., but you really golf wasn't really your first love. You played a lot of other sports. What was that like growing up? And, and, and didn't you know Larry Nelson picked up the game later? What was that like growing up uh, for you, uh, and then picking up golf later? Well, all I knew about golf was that uh, my best friend had grown up lived across the yard from our house, Jeremy Simonson. He had to go take golf on Saturday. That cut into our weekend, so yeah. I didn't like that much. You know, yeah. I played all the sports kids do growing up, you know, football and basketball and baseball. And, um, really uh, did, didn't didn't know much about golf uh, until I got to college, so it's been, it's been fun. It's hard to believe it's 40-some years ago now, but oh, what a great ride. You know, what What got you attracted to it back in college? Like you said, it just was something you didn't really pay attention to. What kind of got you hooked? I, I guess it was just so damn hard, you know? Yeah. Was, you couldn't, you, you know, one day you go out there and, and hit shots that go, wow, that's, that really feels great and it's a lot of fun. And the next day you go and it's not like you're holding a hand, handful of things uh, <laughs> instead of a golf club. And, and just, I, I don't know, I guess that piqued my interest and got my attention and gave me uh, some way to focus and uh, apply myself a little bit. And um, and I, I got hooked early and quick. Did you have an instructor then, or were you just kind of teaching yourself? No, it's just, you know, pick up pointers from the local golf professional and whatever. And, you know, you play with a couple of buddies, and they're experimenting on this and that. They're saying, you know, golf is a, is a hand-me-down game. I don't think anybody's ever... I mean, people may have identified certain things, but everybody who's picked up something has either learned it from someone else or passed it along to someone else. So I think that's part of the beauty of our game, too. It is. I mean, we talk about that with hunting and fishing and with, uh, you know, dads pass it on to their sons, but I think golf falls in that same kind of line. But, you know, you said you got it started a lot. When did you start thinking, well, maybe I might try to do this for a living? Oh, I guess I was in college and, you know, my uh, then girlfriend, now my wife Pam, she just looked at me. And she was just thrilled that I was focused on something. I, you know, I, I certainly, I went to college in name only. I, I didn't really appreciate being there. I thought it was too structured and too organized and too directed. And 
I, you know, I had, I guess, my own mind about doing stuff. And, and uh, I thought I'd give golf a whirl, and kind of worked out. Yeah, you went. To the, you finished second on the money list on the nationwide tour, won multiple times uh, that year, and and it took you a while to get to the PGA Tour. But what was it like playing nationwide tour in those kind of early years? I think, truthfully, to me, that Ben Hogan Tour and then the nationwide tour kind of saved my career because I was at a crossroads. I was getting older. I hadn't achieved much in golf. I played many tours forever. I played with guys like Don Houston and Kenny, Kenny Perry and Lee Jansen and people like that, but. You know, mini tours is no way to raise a family. You're not no. making any money, and you got to find a way to earn a living. And, yeah. uh, and the Ben Hogan tour came along in 1990, and I struggled pretty hard for the first half of the year, and then and I ended up playing really great at uh, Southern Highlands. Is it in uh, in the Ozarks? Is that the name of it? I don't know if it's. Uh, uh, you know what? I think it might be. Yeah, it's in the Ozarks, and yeah, outside of Springfield. Yeah, I, I, I lost. I lost the playoffs to Jeff Cook. Okay, and then finished fifth next week, and and uh, secured my position for the next year on the on the Ben Hogan Tour, and then of course, um, uh, finished second to Tom Lehman on the on the on the year money list, and was on my way to the tour, and so fell off at '93, and was back in '94, and back to good in '96. So. You know, golf is a lot about staying in it. You know, people talk about what makes great players great players. Well, great players are better than anybody else to start with. But, you know, there comes a point where in pursuing something like that, you know, you just make fewer mistakes than everybody else. And pretty soon you look around and you got access and your access turns into performance. Your performance turns into a win here and there. And, uh, you know, it turned into a 30-year career. Yeah, that's a great uh, answer to that question because that's what I always ask the guests. You know, what separates the elite from the rest? And you get all kinds of different answers, but it gets gets down to that inner drive that certain people have over others, and they want to achieve and and be great at what they're trying to do. But like you said, you went back and forth, and and you finally got your card uh, or finished in the one twenty five. What was that year? You know, finally got there. You got secured on the PGA Tour, and you're on your way. What was that? Uh, Kind of the feelings and emotions, knowing all that hard work is finally paying off. Well, it's hard to say because when you're in it, it's not something that you think about. It's something that you think about in retrospect. And so, you know, I think certainly the first first few times you get up to a tour event, I mean, you're, you know, you're rubbing shoulders with guys that you've admired for a long time, the Jimmy Gallagher's of the world, and the people who have had, had success ahead of you. And so... um. You know, you're not always tuned in to what it means at the time. You're more just trying to keep your head above water, certainly in those days. Now, kids are coming out of college now much better prepared, right? Junior golf programs are phenomenal. College golf programs are phenomenal. And a lot of these kids witness, you know, guys like Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland and Matt Wolf and people like that are coming out and, you know, putting their thumbprint on things early and and, and often. Um, but back in the, in the 90s, you know, there was a kind of a, there were stages of, right? Mm-hmm. It was very seldom that a guy exploded onto the scene. I and mean, a guy like Phil Mickelson back in the early 90s did it, but but then it wasn't until Tiger. And, and certainly there there have been other guys who have had good careers and all that, Justin Leonard and stuff like that. But really, those kinds of guys are few and far between. It's Most most of the rest of the guys who were on tour came up, you know, played many tours, uh Establish themselves on a on a lesser tour, maybe it was in in uh, Asia or you know 
the Hogan tour, the Nike tour, whatever, and then and then got themselves on tour and managed to to sag for a while. But nowadays, guys are the guys are coming on hot and heavy, and they're ready to go right out of the box. You're going to see a lot of twenty to twenty five year olds put their markings uh, on the game of golf. Yeah, they're so much prepared with you know instruction, technology. They've all got multiple people on teams. <clears throat> but how did you get over that intimidating? you know, feeling and finally feel like, Hey, I belong as when are you won at Hartford or did it, was it before that? Well, no, I think the, the, the tournament that got me, uh, it gave me a real confidence was the 97 U S open at congressional where Ernie else won. I played the, uh, you know, I was off and on in contention the whole week. Um, I played really, really good golf. I put in a new set of Callaway irons that that very week, and they were paying dividends. I hit the ball a little higher, and as you know, those that golf course there, the greens are pretty pretty small for a course that's that big, and they had some pretty well tucked home locations. Jim Furyk and I played on Sunday together, and we ended up tying for fifth. Um, you know, Tom Lehman, Colin Montgomery, guys like that, Jeff Maggart. Uh, we're all in contention, and then Ernie Els ended up winning the tournament. You know, I finished, I finished fifth, got my first trip to the Masters, and I kind of looked around and said, okay, you know, I, I, I think I can do this. And um, it was a very meaningful week for me, and, and then uh, it took me a, about a year after that, but I won Hartford in 98, and I won you in 99. You know, the first win is very gratifying, but it, it got it happened so fast, you never know, you never really see it coming. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, the second one validated. Not to mention that it was Colonial, which is such a storied tournament. It validated uh, the way that Hartford. And I remember Chris Berman looked at me and he said, "Okay, oh, Hartford last year, Colonial this year. You know, these are pretty good tournaments." And you know, to have a guy like that who's an icon in sports without having been a competitor in sports, kind of acknowledge that as an accomplishment. You know, carried a lot of uh, weight with me. Well, as I recall, you're about 40 years old, too, so you weren't, you know, you were kind of, as we said, late getting into it, but you were at 40 years old, and that had to be rewarding as well, knowing you could beat the pups uh, and, and finally getting that confidence and getting something rolling on the PGA Tour. Yeah, it's, it's um, again, it wasn't something I was thinking about because I've always considered myself pretty youthful, you know, some might call it immature, but um, <laughs> being 40 years old isn't, isn't old in my eyes. It's, you know, um and and I guess it's like if I you know sitting down and talking to somebody like you about it you know that it kind of puts it all into a little bit more perspective so that you understand the meaning of and the timing of it and so forth. But the reality of it is is that is that I think I think it's a lesson pretty much to people that if if you're trying to accomplish something you know don't look around and and see where you are or who's around you you know focus on the things that you do and that you can do and then sit around and think about it later after the fact when it's already, when it's already done. And I, I, you know, I've always kind of looked forward, not backward. And, um, I think it's easier that way because it synthesizes the moment, right? If you're, if you're worried about where you stand and what you're thinking about and, and what you're trying to do and, and, and where you are at the moment, I can't get lost. You lose your focus, lose your ability to channel what you're, what you're doing to try and accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, I had Hal um, Sutton on a few weeks ago and he kind of talked about your own personal journey that it's got to be yours. It can't be your mom and dad's or the media's or anything he talked about. You know, he was compared to Jack Nicholas early on in his career and he said, how could I live up to that? So, uh, you're hitting it. Right there's, on. there's one guy that we've seen who, who is, who is 
you know, is challenging Jack record. Um, who, who's, who's currently uh, playing and that's, and that's Tiger. And so you're talking about the loftiest of the lofty. And when you're talking about Jack Nicholas and his record and comparing yours to it, you're one of two of the greatest of all time. Yeah, there's no way you could live up to that. There's only two guys that could do that, nope. uh, and I think that's right. that's that's what Hal was trying to get a, across. And I thought it was a great point because you know I, I think we all go through that. I mean, I know there were times when I had good years, and the next year I was like, well, I got to play up to this point, even though I wasn't playing that well. I was kind of comparing myself that you, hey, you've done this and you've done that. You're supposed to be playing up to that. You just suffocate yourself. I think we all kind of go through that, uh, and we kind of get in our own way. You hear it, you know, stay out of your way. Well, that's that's one of the big issues with players. But you also fought through some... Well, I, think, I think that's indicative of other people's expectations. Yeah. This is what Hal's talking about. If other people are expecting X, Y, or Z, and you start believing the, the print, mm-hmm. that's when people get in trouble. If you set your own standards, then this, you know, and it's whether they're higher or lower than what other people see, you set your own standards, then you're on your own terms. And I, I think that Hal, Hal really had a grasp of that and a perspective. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people... A lot of people get caught up in the hype, and it's really hard to live up to other people's expectations. Yeah, I think Jordan Spieth's fighting that right now. I think he's, you know, seeing what he he, he had a career in, in a one or two year period, and I think he's fighting a little of that, and, and he's in his own way. He's overthinking, and he's not playing like he always had played. I think, uh, and he's young. That's the scary part when it happened to you so young that. You just got to find a way to fight your way through it. And, and, you know, people talk about how do you get confidence or how do you get out of a slump, but you just don't wake up one day and become confident. I mean, I think you got to see some, you know, some success. You got to see some results. But I think, you know, we all kind of get in that thing and we, that mode of, you know, beating ourselves up because we're supposed to live up to other people. And if we can get away from that, that's why the successful people are. They don't worry about it. I mean, Dustin Johnson doesn't worry about what anybody else thinks, he just does his own thing. Really, a cautionary tale about um, about hoopla and um, what what it takes to achieve success. I mean, if if guy like Jordan Spieth can reach the pinnacle of the game and then struggle, I think he's fallen out of the top fifty in the world. You know, it happened to David Duvall too. Mm-hmm. He exploded on the um, The run that he made in the in the uh, early late nineties and early two thousands was really phenomenal, and he was the guy that was really there to challenge Tiger at that point. Um, and and if guys like that, like Jordan Spieth and David Duvall, can can struggle in the game of golf, then maybe it gives everybody a little bit of uh, of a boost in their own struggles because I mean those guys are two of the great players of the era and they're historical players in in a lot of regard. I mean, you know, when David Duvall, I think he won thirteen times in eighteen months. Mm-hmm. That was a lot, and that was in in the height of Tiger's prowess, right? Um, and then here. Here, Jordan Spieth comes on and wins three majors in two years or something like that, whatever one of them. I could be slightly wrong about that. But, I mean, and, and he did miracle things. I mean, he hold out a bunker shot, and then he hold a bunker shot, you know, at, at Quad City, and he hold a bunker shot at Hartford. And, you know, he led Masters and finished second and then won it the next year and then was leading the next year, too. He won three Masters consecutive. You know, that's pretty pretty heady air. And, um, and it, it should give everybody... Everybody a little perspective that a guy who's accomplished so much has fallen on some hard times. I have no doubt he'll come back from it. But, man, I'll tell you what, this game, is, it humbles people in a hurry. I think that's great advice for the kids or parents that are out there listening. You know, you see a parent, you see a kid coming up, and they see, oh, he's a prodigy or he's got potential. I mean, you just got to be really careful with that. You want to encourage them, 
but they're going to also have some downs. I think it's sometimes it's how you fight through the downs uh, and how you get through that is as rewarding and, and educational as when you win. I think we all we, we go through that. But you fought through a lot of injuries along the way. Uh, but then again, you won at 46 years old. Uh, that had to be just totally rewarding to go ahead and say, hey, I've still got it, and I've been fighting through all these injuries. Well, you know, I'd lost my exempt status on the tour, and I was, you know, I, was, I had a good number. I was 126 or 127 that year, and so I was getting into a lot of stuff anyway. And Seth Wall gave me an invite to Deutsche Bank, and I, I had played really well at the U.S. Open. I mean, I, I qualified. Uh, it was at Pinehurst. I'm the idiot hugging Michael Campbell on Sunday while he's getting ready to hoist the trophy, <laughs> and I shot my requisite 80, um, but I had played great. You know, I shot a 59 to qualify for the tournament. Uh, when I was about to walk off the, the course in the qualifier, and and then I was tied with Rocco after the first round. I played with Retief on Friday or on Saturday, um, and we all thought Retief was going to win the tournament, right? Mm-hmm. But Michael Campbell and I were out in the group in front of him, and he played brilliant golf. I mean, when if he missed a fairway, he pitched out, he got it on the green, made the putt, hit it in a bunker, had a lousy lie, hit it out inside of eight feet, made the putt. I mean, he just. I think he shot 68 that day, and he might have had five birdies in a bogey or six birdies, two bogeys, or I don't know. But he, when he made a mistake, he, you know, he got out from under it, never got himself out of position too far, and it was really a, a stellar performance. And uh, and I crashed and burned standing right next to him, but that had real value for me when I got to Deutsche Bank. And I, Tiger was leading after the first round, and I was leading after the second and third days. There were a bunch of us tied atop the leaderboard on Sunday, and I ended up shooting 67 and winning the tournament by a shot over Jason Bowen. And it was really gratifying because I had just started working with a new instructor the year before, Jim Hardy, who had really helped me a lot. And I was really frustrated with my game. And I looked back over my year, and I finished 15th to 20th virtually every week. You know, I mean, there wasn't every week, obviously, but it seemed like I could never crack the top 10, and but I, I was never finish 50th either or not often and he just told me to stay patient you know that things would go my way you know the debacle at the u.s open certainly helped me at deutsche bank because i was much calmer i was much more relaxed and i had more faith in what i was doing and lo and behold i won the tournament called up uh, gary plano the next day and i go the kids get out of school on the 18th we'll be in at Kapalu on the 19th. <laughs> we went had a wicked Christmas over there. Yeah, that's a cool story. I, it, it's, that's the thing. You just never quit fighting. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for people is to stay patient. Uh, and I, I think it doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, the people who can stay patient end up being successful. But uh, in 2008, you are asked to be the vice captain or assistant captain for Paul Azinger to Ryder Cup. Tell us about that experience. That's kind of a cool week for you, to say the least. Well... You know what it was like being on a couple of teams of your own. Um, and to, to represent your country um, in any capacity, and certainly in a team environment, in what's an individual sport, has a di- kind of a different twist. But um, it was Paul's team, and it was a great group of guys. And I got to see some of the best golf that you could ever want to see under some of the most intense uh, pressure that you could ever experience. And it, it was secondhand, you know, I was just watching and, um, it was, it was a remar- remarkable experience. I mean, you know, Paul wrote a book about it and I highly recommend that if anybody wants to hear the real inside scoop, that they bring them in 
have them host an event and ask them some questions because there there's some real backstories that that um, that add a lot of color to the event. And the Ryder Cup is you know the pinnacle of golf um, worldwide. It's every other year, and people just I mean really rise to the occasion and love watching it and love participating in it. What were your duties that week? What, what I mean, because you got that's the that's when they, I guess, started the pod. Uh, correct the pods for the different team. Uh, what were your duties that week? Well, my 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 assigned, my assigned pod was the redneck pod. It was Jimmy Fuhr and JB Holmes and Kenny Perry and Boo Weekly. And, <laughs> Gosh! <laughs> and people asked me, "How did you get that pod?" And I just said, "Early Christmas present." You know, I mean, it was just those guys were just incredible and. uh my duties were if somebody wanted a Gatorade, I got them a Gatorade. If somebody wanted a Sammy, I got them a Sammy. And if, uh, you know, and uh, my duties were just to kind of be there in case somebody needed something. And I, I can just tell you that watching Boo Weekly um, do his thing for a week was just unbelievable. You know, I I played a little golf with Boo, hung out with him a little bit, but to see him blossom the way he did and really become kind of like the spirit mm-hmm. of, of that team was really fun. And I mean, he tells a story about fighting an orangutan at the state fair that I'm sure people have heard. And if they haven't, it is one of the greatest stories of all time. And I, I'll tell you what, he told it twice that week. The first time I was laughing. The second time I was in tears because he knew it was coming and he gave it the full, the full version and it was outrageous. But to see guys and you got, you know, you also have Penny Perry and J.D. Holmes, who were Kentucky guys, to, right. to to stand up in front of their homies and perform the way they did. Um, and I, I think the guys, the guys in that pod, led the squad for the week. I mean, I think they had nine points or something like that total. Um, it was just an incredible performance by really good people in a really tense situation. You know, we've gotten our ourselves. Uh, pretty down in Ryder Cup standings for a while. Uh, and it was really important to Paul to be a winning captain. And he instilled that kind of mentality in, his, in the players, and boy, they responded. And we, we, did a, um, we had a fun week. Yeah, it's amazing how well they play under the pressure. Uh, the level, uh, I just remember 93 at the Belfry, and even the President's Cup in 94, just that, and it was a little different because that was the first President's Cup, but just to watch these guys under that uh, amount of pressure perform and the level that they play at is it is and it, it's amazing for me i think it was like the raymond floyds the tom kites the lanny watkins you know tom watson was our captain they made you feel like an equal uh and yeah. and that doesn't happen on the pj tour every week and i thought that was for me being a rookie and our i mean we had a pretty decent uh, team to say the least but uh everybody kind of it's amazing how they put their ego down for that one week and become a team. And I think that's a big part of success for any of them. The Europe, I just think the games become so worldwide and Europe's, you know, they've held on to that underdog role, but they found a way to gel and they've played great golf. The bottom line is they, the team that wins either out putts them or beats them. Uh, rarely does the other team lose. And I think that's the cool part of the Ryder cup. And, and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to next year, getting it back going and, and, and just watching it. Cause it is, it's one of the biggest things we play in, in professional golf. And it's, it's amazing to be part of it in any capacity, but you turn well, around. And you, you, the involvement you, of the fans too, it's just, it's, it's extraordinary. The, the commitment by the, by the home fans. Yeah. They are invested as much as the players and they are trying to put the players 
they are trying to elevate the players. They are trying to lift them on a on a magic carpet and drag them across the finish line victorious. And it's pretty. It's a pretty remarkable. I think David Tom said it one time. I think when he won New Orleans, he said, "Now I now I think I know what it feels like to be in Tiger Stadium during an LSU football game." You know, and so we don't experience those kinds of those kinds of uh, emotions in golf quite so much. It's more calm and staid and and uh, respectful and all this kind of stuff. But the Ryder Cup is raucous and wild and woolly. Yeah, because you look at it, I think it turned it around at Hazeltine when they won up, when the Americans won up there. It's just the crowd. I was doing the TV for Golf Channel, and I actually went out. Uh, Sissy and Kathleen, my daughter and my wife, were out for Friday's matches. And then Saturday I went out with them, and uh, I just couldn't believe how big it's gotten. I mean, I've worked, you know, Glen Eagles and, and wasn't really on the golf course, but I was just, like, amazed of how the, much the home crowd plays part of it. I saw it the Solheim Cup last year at Glen Eagles when uh, Europe beat uh, the Americans at the end. It was just amazing to see how they get behind it, and that's the beauty of those formats. We don't get to see that. After. I guess Tiger Woods maybe Woods gets to feel those uh, feelings, but uh, it's a completely different animal uh, for sure. Yeah, for, for, about, for about 10 or 12 years, whoever was in the last group with Tiger on Sunday sure as hell got the feeling. Exactly. I, I always felt like... You know, when I was if, if and I I was kind of quitting playing, you know, full time when Tiger was kind of getting out there. But if you played in front of Tiger, it was miserable. Uh, and even with him, I mean, it's just the people were just always moving. And I was such a fast player, uh, but to get to watch it now and, and actually doing TV and watching him and watching even this comeback he's had, it's just so amazing how he is the needle and how people just just love to watch him play. Uh, and, and at that level, it, it is amazing that he can continue to what he's overcome with injuries. And you've been injured. It has to be amazing to anybody to see him winning the Masters uh, and still competing at that level. Well, I promise you that nobody who's had a twenty-plus year career in golf has gone has gone injury-free. It's one thing or another, whether it's a hip, an elbow, a shoulder, a neck, a wrist. You know, there's something because it's a repetitive motion game, and the injuries are repetitive motion. It's just the nature of the business, but. Regarding Tiger and his comeback, you know, I, I remember vividly, you know, when Tiger was, I mean, basically for five years was a, was a, was a non-story on it, other than the fact that he wasn't, he wasn't the Tiger of old, right? So mm-hmm. when he came back and everybody was interviewed and go, oh yeah, we want Tiger back. Yes, we want Tiger back. And I'm laughing at these guys going, and these are great players. Yeah. Don't misunderstand. They are great players, but not a one of them with the exception of maybe a Justin Rose or somebody like that had experienced Tiger Woods in his prime. And so for them all to say, yeah, we want Tiger to be back and playing greatness and they're saying, no, they didn't want Tiger back the way he was because Tiger would have whooped them all. Mm-hmm. The fact is that, that uh, he, he's 43 or four years old now and he's not the player that he was when he was 25 years old. Having said that, he is the greatest player indisputably of his generation. And um, to see him come back and win at Augusta last year. And in particular, when everybody came to the same crossroads on number 12, everybody who mattered, that is, mm-hmm. at that point in the tournament, and put it in the water. And to see Tiger standing on the green while these guys were having to pour off just off the edge of the green while these guys are having to put their next shot in play and on the green is incredible. I mean, it's just incredible the effect that he has on people. And you could see... You could see how hard guys tried to elevate their games. Phil Mickelson and BJ and David Duvall and guys like that. I mean, David Duvall worked himself 
into incredible physical specimen because he knew he had to rise to the occasion to be able to stand toe to toe with Tiger. So that's the effect that he has on on the game, and and um, you know you're kind of seeing the best player in golf just won the Masters. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of great players. And there are a lot of players who have ascended to number one in the last three or four or five years, but you know, not many have ascended and fallen back and ascended again and fallen back and ascended again. Some of them have gotten there and then hover around two, three, four, five, right? DJ's the one guy, you know, maybe plus or minus a moment. And he's the one guy who's, I think he's, you know, you got Tiger Woods and Greg Norman who have held number one the longest. And DJ's pushing that now, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's the guy who's next in line. So his talent is immense, and his ability to deliver under pressure is is remarkable. And I think that everybody's been doing him a disservice by by kind of making fun of him along the way. The guy is uber talented. He's won 24 times. He's won two majors. You know, he didn't write the Gettysburg Address. So what? He's a great golfer. He's a good dude. And he's going to be around for a long time. And he's proven that, that when his... When, when he's at his best, he's the best golfer in golf. Yeah, and I think and he also throws in fitness on top of that. That's the thing where I think the game's changed so much. We're all talking about the ball and how far it goes, but I think fitness has played as big a role. Of course, the equipment technology, but fitness has played such a big role, and Tiger's you know, part of the reason people work out the way they do, and DJ's a perfect example of that and how hard he works. That's the thing. People think, oh, yeah, he's successful, but how hard he works to be great. The time he puts in the hours. Uh, you know, the media, the media gets on his case, and I think it's it shows a tremendous lack of respect for the commitment that the guy has towards his craft. And uh, I just hope people understand that and stop taking cheap shots because the guy's with you. And if you look at his performance over the last twelve or fourteen years, he's the best player. I mean, he's ascended to that spot. He's the legit best player in golf. No, I agree. I've watched it, and you know, I thought maybe Rory on his best, but I'm I'm beginning to not that I'm against Rory, but I, after watching the way Dustin has done this consistently, got my eyes open big time. I'm just so impressed, uh, just to his ability when he maybe doesn't have success to come back mentally uh, with the losses he had that most people would their career could have been over, but he keeps working and working, and I think he's he really. You know, he keeps a pretty even kill, but he really wants to be great. And he's comfortable yep, being number I one. Agree. I think you, you you hit on it about people being number one. Some people are more comfortable. Greg Norman, Tiger, Dustin, uh, they're comfortable being number one. As much as we love Nick Price and even David Duvall, sometimes the things that go with being number one can be suffocating uh, to players like that. Well, not only that, it takes time away, to your point, it takes time away from your preparation, from your family, from your friends, from the things that – that also matter in golf. You know, mm-hmm. I think that I think we all we all tend to pass judgment a little bit too quickly on people because when we see greatness, we want greatness to max out. So I think as it pertains to Rory, for example, his brilliance is uh, effervescent. Uh, when he's when he's on his game, he drives at six hundred miles right down the pipe, and I mean he makes it look so easy. He's not a big person, mm-hmm. but he's certainly explosive. And the, the the thing the thing there is is you know is the sustainability of it. It's almost like an Icarus story with him because he 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 flashes when he flashes. It's so brilliant, and then people expect it all the time. It's just not that easy to do. No. And so 
So we, we need to be a little bit more patient with these great players and understand that everybody has strengths and weaknesses, whether they're perceived or imagined. And the best thing that we can do is, is, is appreciate their success now and then analyze it down the road. So, like, for example, you know, you and I are sitting around talking. There, Let's say we're doing a program. We're having a beer with the guys after. And the subject of Tiger Woods will come up. And hey, I'll say something like, well, you know, Denny, I think Tiger Woods is maybe the most uh, uh, underestimated player of his generation. They go, underestimated? I go, yeah. Look how we came to take for granted what he did when he did it so well for so long. And then when he went away, everybody looked around and said, now what? Where's Tiger? Tiger, please come back. Mm-hmm. So he was he was revered and he was idolized and he stood up on a pedestal. But I don't think anybody really could could understand the depth of his greatness because he was so good and he made it look so easy and he made it look so uh, uh, so irrefutable that it was like a shock when Y. E. Yang beat him in the final round of the PGA, wasn't it? Because he was undefeated in the last group of the final round of a major championship when he was leading up until that point. And then Y. E. Yang won that one, and everybody goes, oh, my God, Tiger lost, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just incredible. He, he is uh, he, he's just he's a remarkable talent. He's a remarkable athlete. He's the kind of – he's the, the benchmark for his generation. Well, you know, you talk about uh, remarkable players. Bernard Langer on the PGA Tour Champions Tour, <laughs> what he keeps continuing to do. I never dreamed – that anyone could possibly catch Hale Irwin's uh, total wind. And he's pretty close to doing it in a lot less tournaments, although they've played similar amounts per year. But what he continues yeah. to do each year, and, I mean, he's a good 62 or 3 years old and competitive. The top 10s, the consistency, uh, he's another one of those great players as well. Well, I don't think Bernhardt's gotten his, his – uh just recognition for as good, as good as he's been throughout his career. I mean, people forget when the world ranking was first instituted. I mean, the official one, he was the first guy that was the number one player in golf. Mm. Why? Because he dominated in Europe. He just didn't happen to play that much golf over here at the time. Mm-hmm. There were varied reasons why, but he was, you know, he's a legitimate, legitimate Hall of Fame player, and he has a terrific record, 60-some wins worldwide. And then he translates. He's got forty-two or three on the PGA Tour champions right now. And as you say, he's trying to run down Hales forty-five. The guy shows up. Listen, he's been playing out there eleven or twelve years, and he's still charting every green of every golf course that he played for those yes. eleven or twelve years every Tuesday in a practice round. What was amazing to me is to see Phil Mickelson come out and play uh, the PGA Tour champions and win twice. How big was that? boost for the PGA Tour champions and the names that are coming out there now—the Clarks and the Ernie Els and those guys. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got Ernie Els who's won twice in his rookie year. you got Jim Sherrick who's won twice in his rookie year. you got um, Phil Nicholson who's won twice in his rookie year. You've got Darren Clark who just won his first event. You've got a lot of big names, uh, stylish players, Hall of Famers who are coming out and uh, putting their mark on the PGA Tour champions. The competition, the level of competition is extraordinary. Uh, Scotty McCarron won the Schwab Cup last year. Jerry Kelly's been doing great this year. I mean, the, the fields are deep. Um, there's a great level of, of competition, a great level of golf. And, you know, the window is not that wide open. I mean, it's a 10-year mm-hmm. career. If you last 60, maybe 61, you've beaten 
pretty much everybody, you know, um, in, in that regard. So guys are coming out in earnest and, uh, it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a great Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I feel like, of course, we've all gone through it. You get to 55, 56, your body changes, everything just kind of goes, you know, you're not as strong as you were, you lose the distance, but the, the, like, that's what makes Langer so amazing. Uh, and the names, like you said, they're coming out, and it's a, it's, it's tough to be competitive out there when these guys are so good. But you look back at your wins, or you maybe what's the most memorable shot you ever hit? I kind of have an idea which it is, but what was your most memorable shot you've ever hit? Well, uh, I, I guess it has to be the chip in at Hartford when I won my first mm. tournament. Um, uh, because it was in a playoff, and because it was the defining right. shot, right? I mean, there are a lot of shots hit during the course of a tournament that helped to decide it. But to have it happen on the first playoff hole, which is the 73rd hole of the event, and to have it settle the issue. I mean, Stuart Sink looked at me and says, man, you can't do that. <laughs> and I actually said, sorry, bud. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, I didn't mean it. I was thrilled that it, that the chip went in. And um, and so I, I would say that would have to be my greatest. I might shot. even think the Inverness putt uh, on 18 with Buck behind you there to win the Senior Open might have been up there as well. You know, so that was a hard day, right? I, I led the tournament from tip to toe, and I'm playing with M.O. Mark Mira on the weekend, and he's such a great guy, Hall of Famer, great player. And, you know, everybody looked at him like, you're the guy that makes him win. And I, I got to that green with a two-shot lead, so that putt going in, uh, it really didn't settle the issue, right? I mean, I ended up winning the tournament mm-hmm. anyway, and I would have played three couple. But, but so, so yes, it was a very important part of my probably uh, biggest win is the USGA Championship, right? But, but the fact is, is that uh, is is that as as a shot, it's a chip in. Absolutely. I remember you chipping it in. I think your vertical jump is about three, four feet in the air, as I remember, too. <laughs> but I saw it because I jumped off of one of the brows of the green, which was about three or four feet. Oh, yeah, one ground. of those moguls. Yeah, I got that confused with just the level. But uh, you've had it. You've had a, where you, when you look back, and you're not, your career's not over by any means, but when you look back at your career, what are you most proud of? That's a hard question. Well, I think the longevity, okay. right? Yeah. I think the fact that that I got on tour in the early '90s. Well, really, let's count. Let's count the Ben Hogan tour, which is now the Clones, right? And so, from 1990 until now, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, you know, playing a full schedule. Short the injury, the, you know, whatever year I, I, I was injured. Um, and so, the idea that that a guy who started golf, you know, when he's in his late teens, would have a, a career that was that long. Is uh, certainly well. That's a great way to end it. Well, we appreciate you spending some time with us. I know you're busy. You're going to enjoy this off season and uh, get ready for 2021 and and out there playing again. But thanks for spending some time with us, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in person. Maybe if I do, you'll probably win another event. Yeah, you know, get your butt back out then, Jeremy. Because I could talk to the out. bosses. I need to kind of do a couple PJ Tour Champions events. All right, Perfect. buddy. Thanks for being with us. Great. Great being with you. Thanks. Always good spending right, some time.